0: I think anyone who, you know, is curious about getting into real estate and, you know, isn't sure which direction is best, I think the important thing is that you do. So you do something, whether it's, you know, you buy a single family home or you invest in a syndication or, you know, you get into note investing, I think the important piece of it is that you get out there and you do something. You're listening to Investing
1: for Good. A show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, I'm Annie Dickerson here with my co-host Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, Annie. How are you? I am really excited about this episode cuz um this is our first one that we're going to try as a solo episode meaning mm-hmm. just you and me no guest mm-hmm. as much as we love our guests and they bring such a wealth of knowledge to the show and to our listeners I think it's it'll be fun just to talk you and me and to share our wisdom and our experiences with our listeners
0: Yeah yeah I'm really excited for it because I think all too often when we are interviewed on other people's podcasts, we don't really get the opportunity to deep dive into our stories and the little nuances that sometimes as a listener, you're thinking, oh man, like I wonder, I would have loved to hear more about that part of her story. And because it could be the thing that helps someone else, um, you know, get to where they're trying to go by understanding how somebody else before you uh, did it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it should be fun.
1: Well, you said something before we started rolling, which really resonated with me. And it's something you've brought not only to your real estate investing journey, but also to our business. Mm-hmm. So you said, you know, growing your wealth isn't just about, you know, building up the numbers. It's about taking a look at what you have mm-hmm. and really seeing, you know, how you can make the most of it. So right. can you speak a little bit to that and how that played into your real
0: estate investing journey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's always what I didn't come from money and I don't come from a lot and everything I have, I built myself. And so it's always like, well, this is all you have, you know, and you got to figure out how to make the most of it. And I think a lot of that came from uh, my upbringing with my mom and single mom raising me only child. And it was like, Julie, this is what we have to work with, and so it was always no siblings, right? Only child, and so it was like, okay, you know, n- no company. And it was just my mom and I. and You have to kind of make the best of it. And so I think, you know, just even my upbringing was really how I got to this like mindset of like, okay, if this is all I have, how can I get to where I'm trying to go with what with what I have here? This is it. Like, you know, three pieces of rocks and. Like some sticks and (laughs) trying to make a fire, you know. And so, anyway, as it relates to real estate, so we bought the townhome in in 2009, and that's really where we started. And And um, where was that? That That was in Oakland, Mm -hmm. Oakland, California. And if anyone from the Bay Area remembers what happened to the home prices across the Bay in in Oakland and Alameda area, they basically tanked from 2006. It was literally like. 2006 2007 to 2009 so it was like maybe two years or so it was a brand new condo the price someone had paid let's see 2007 double what we had paid for this property and it was the worst time nobody was buying you know and I remember as, I, as I've talked about in my in podcasts and whatnot but I remember standing in this huge town home, was huge for me. Up until that point, I had only been a renter of rooms and small apartments. But it was a three and a half bedroom townhome with two full baths. And I remember standing there with my agent and thinking, you know, asking her, Laura, what are we going to do with this? It's just, you know, it's just my husband and I. What are we going to do? And she said, Well, you know, you could rent it out and and offset your mortgage payments. And I thought that's really interesting. And so we ended up buying the home and we ended up house hacking and you know having other people rent out the rooms but there was this one room downstairs and so it was a it was 3 Three full bedrooms upstairs, two full baths, and then a half bath downstairs. So right when you walk in, there's like a half bath on the right, and there was a den, but the den had no door, and it was just like a you know just like a library area with like a, a door ish, and and there was nothing to kind of block it off from like the rest of the house. So you walk in, and then there's the kitchen, the living room, then you take the stairs upstairs as we were renting it out and the upstairs bedrooms were rented, we were living in the master and we rented out the other two rooms. Every day I would walk past that room and think, what a waste. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is such a waste. Like I've got to figure out a way to you know, capitalize on this because there was a half bath right across the way. Ah. And so I just started like, thinking, okay, what can I do with this? How can I make this an area that somebody would want to use? And mm-hmm. thought about doing like kind of a co-working space, or you know, renting it out mm-hmm. that way, or even just putting it on Airbnb and seeing like what happens. It's just a room without a door, and there's a half bath right there. But then I started to dig further because the numbers weren't matching up. Right? It was like I, I wasn't getting the maximum that I thought I could get <laughs> from that room. You know, because it's like yeah, I could do, co- but co-working wasn't really a thing back then, and mm-hmm. and who's going to want to sleep in a room with no door with a bunch of other people right. coming and going? So it was like I. Just Just kept seeing the 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 amount that I could rent it for just go down down down, and so then I thought, okay, if I wanted to rent this thing out as an actual bedroom, what would I need to do to make it an actual room? And Mm. so then I I decided that was going to put a door. I was going to install a door, and I went out and started looking at all the pricing of doors. And so we ended up settling on a, like a sliding glass door. It's huge. Like the, the ceilings were probably like 10, 11 feet tall. And so the doorway was really big. It was, it was probably like maybe five or six feet wide and I don't know, seven feet tall. And so this door though was like $3,000 and it was, it was a lot, but it was nice. You know, went with Mm -hmm. like the style of the home and I had to ask myself, and this was when like the the gears started turning for understanding real estate. Like how much am I investing? Mm -hmm. And I started doing the math. Okay. Like if I could rent this room out for 550 bucks a month and it cost me $3,000, how many years would it take me to make up that cost and then actually start profiting from it? Mm -hmm. And so we went out shopping for the door. We Installed this fancy door and made it into a bedroom, and we ended up renting it out. And I think I was getting by the time we left. I think initially I was getting about five hundred a month, um, and then by the time we left, I think it was like five fifty, five seventy five, something like that. And the way that I pitched it on um, Craigslist back then is where I used to post um, the rooms is that it was almost like your own sort of kind of like a master of your own bathroom. And that's the Mm -hmm. way I pitched it. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, you have this room with a closed door and right across from it, literally three feet was the half bath and that would be Mm -hmm. your bath. And then you would share a full bathroom, the shower and whatnot upstairs. And, um, and so that was kind of the way I angled it and got $550 a month, like in additional revenue from this room that was sitting there. We didn't, I don't even think at the time I used it as an office. So it literally sat there for a number of years, just empty. So anyway, that was like, for me, really like the Mm -hmm. beginning of like, Mm -hmm. you know, really understanding, okay, how can I take what I have and maximize this and and make more money off of it? And yeah. uh, Yeah. It's like
1: our coach always says: it's not about resources; it's about resourcefulness. And totally. the moment that you start thinking about things in that way, it opens up all kinds of doors—no pun yep. intended—with your yeah. door story. But um, <laughs> so wait, wait, wait—I want to rewind a little bit, even further than that. So, for people who may have never house hacked before, I can imagine that they're thinking, "Wait." you live with strangers in your house. (laughs) So, okay. So you had three bedrooms upstairs, you said. And so you rented out two of those bedrooms. Yeah. And how did you find those people? Were they off of Craigslist? And did you interview them? How did you know that they weren't going to like vandalize your house and steal all your stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we did. I think I just did Craigslist back then. Like there was, you know, that's where you went, and I'd interview them. And I found a lease on, like, you know, Googled it and found a lease, and I used that. I don't know. It was like some, you know, the realtors, whatever. It was California Realtors Association, like (laughs) standard lease. Used (laughs) that Um, was nothing fancy, and uh, yeah, and that's so that's how I found it It was on Craigslist, and I did I did do a background check, so I spent the money. Forget whatever it was, thirty bucks. Actually, I think I made them pay for it. You know, I said to mm -hmm, apply, you have to pay the the background check and it checks their credit. And yeah, we got this one, uh, I still remember his name was Sam. Interesting guy. He, I I swear he, and I, I don't know, maybe I was delusional back then, but I swear he was like, had food in his room that he would keep in jars, like old food. And I don't know why he was doing that, but it started to smell. And oh, no. it was the room that was like the closest to ours. Of course. And it was, it was the worst. And I brought it up one day and I told mm-hmm. him, I said, I can, I, I smell something and I've started uh-huh. to see flies, fruit flies and whatnot. Coming mm. Yeah, And he sent me an article about uh-huh. like, almost like saying that I was like, Hallucinating, or something that there weren't really like flies in the house, and that something like this can happen. It was the most bizarre thing, anyway. He didn't last very long, yeah. Um, But yes, they were strangers and they were people who I didn't know. Um, you know, it's similar to when you have roommates in a house Mm -hmm. and you're you know at a dorm or you're going to college or whatever, and that's kind of how it was. But you know, it's much easier to do that when you don't have kids, and you're not my husband and I weren't married at the time, um, Mm -hmm. and so it's much easier to do that you know, live that kind of a lifestyle before you actually have kids, you know? Yeah. And besides
1: besides the fruit flies, did you have any conflicts between them or between them and you? Anything that came up where you had to step in and put on your landlord hat and be like, this is the way it has to be?
0: Not really. Not really. I'd say that that's one thing I've always been pretty good at is Picking the right, assembling a team, and like picking mm-hmm. the right people, and yeah. in a sense, they it was kind of like a team, you know, it was like yeah. a group of people. How can I make sure we all get along and everybody respects each other's space? But no, never really did. And one thing that we did do after the after we moved out of that house and just mm-hmm. had it as a rental was we hired a housekeeper to come in every other week. And so it did add like an additional expense. I, I think it was like, I don't know, back then it was probably like 70 bucks to clean the whole place, which is crazy because it was a pretty big place. And so I just deducted that. And again, put on my you know, analysis, like profit and loss. Like mm-hmm. if I'm spending you know an additional 150 bucks a month, is that going to be worth it? Is it going to, you know, resident retention? Is it going to keep people there longer? Is it going to Mm -hmm. reduce the amount of conflict and keep the house clean? And that's exactly what it did. I still remember when we sold that place seven years later, my agent, she said, wow, Julie, you've had roommates here for the last, like at that time, like I don't know. It was four years or so. um, The place looks amazing, and and I it was because of the fact that we hired a housekeeper to come in. I think number one, and so no one had to do anything. They didn't have to clean. They didn't have to do anything. And then number two it's just like picking the right you know people so that people get along well. And I think by the end, the people that had been there had been there for two or three years, renting a room for two or three years. You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, as a landlord, as a real estate investor, you have to take into account, you know, which expenses are worth it and going to protect the value of your investment over time and which ones that you can forgo. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's such a great idea to hire a cleaner um, to come in and really protect your asset. So you lived there how long with roommates and then you, it sounds like you kept it then for a few Mm -hmm. more years after that.
0: Yeah, I lived there for three years on my own, and then and then we rented it out for another four. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, wow. Yeah. It's a long yeah, time. It, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a long time, and and I think a lot of the skills that I that I use now really were mm-hmm. developed in those seven years that I owned the property, and in a small way, it was you know kind of like. How can I? It wasn't a multifamily property, but it was three and a mm-hmm. half bedrooms. So it's like, how can I turn this into somewhat of a multifamily opportunity right. in that I didn't want to just rent it out? After we moved out, we had a choice do we keep it renting it out by the rooms or do we move everyone out and just find one family to rent it out and, and, you know, take the whole thing down? And, As I was going through that process, I thought to myself, if if I move everyone out and I get a family to live here and they rent the whole house, if they leave, my income goes from 100% income to zero percent income like overnight. And so for me, it was a kind of a way to hedge against you know uh, uh, vacancy and income loss, right? Was Mm -hmm. by renting it out by the room because if one person left, I still had you know 70% of the house still rented or you know whatever depending on which room it was that was vacant. And so And because I was picking the right people, I wasn't having like a lot of turnover, which I think when people think of renting by the room, they think, Mm -hmm. oh, it's going to be a bunch of hassle. People are always coming and going. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I also kept the rents like, you know, this is again, like where this started was like, okay, what are, what could they get if they went somewhere else and what's comparable? And I would Mm -hmm. keep it kind of just below that. So it would Mm -hmm. be like in their mind, like, oh man. The last thing I want to do is go out there and move all my stuff on a Saturday right. morning you know for to save myself fifteen bucks or twenty five bucks a month or whatever it was. You right. know it was always just this how can I price the rents like just above or just below, depending on the time when we first started renting it out, It was two thousand and nine, so yeah. it was like you know it was not really like the best time to find qualified renters anyway. Yeah. I still remember at that time I had a bunch of people coming, older people who looked pretty like well-established folks that were applying to rent the room. And I was just like, and they would tell me like, I've lost my house. It was so sad, you know, and they said, yeah. I, my house got foreclosed on and um, I recently switched to a new job. And it was like, well, like, you know, there are some people would say my credit was decimated with everything that's happened. And nice. it was, yeah, it was a rough time yeah. that year, that first year.
1: But it's so interesting hearing you tell this story because you're right, even on a small scale, a single mm-hmm. family home, you were able to apply so many of the things that we always talk about in yeah. family, about making it more efficient and looking at the bottom line and seeing the long-term value. And I love hearing you talk about you know, why you chose to rent to roommates instead of choosing mm-hmm. to rent to a single um, family. I think that's mm-hmm. genius to sort of hedge your bets that front. In terms of the, because I know you were self-managing during this time. Uh So not only the tenant issues maybe between each other, or maybe there weren't so many there, but what about on the maintenance side? Did you Mm -hmm. have repairs that you had to take care of during this time?
0: Not really. Well, with one of our properties we did, and my husband was the handyman. So anytime there was like an issue, husband would go over there and check it out. But Not really. Most of what we owned were newer properties. So Mm -hmm. there just really wasn't a lot that came up. And then obviously, when you're, when you own a condo, anything, you know, behind the walls is not really your responsibility. So, which is good. Um, But then, of course, with that comes usually a hefty HOA fee, which we did have. But yeah, no, not, not too much. I I don't, I don't work really well with like properties that need a lot of repairs and whatnot. It's just, you never was, know what was, you're going to find behind the walls. Totally, totally, yeah. I like dealing with stuff that that cash flows, or or that's mm-hmm. um, maybe even less cash flow, uh, you know, to, to so that I can have peace of mind. Yeah. So, yeah. so
1: speaking of cash flow, I know it's been a number of years since you've owned this property, but do you remember early, like at what point were you cash flowing right off the bat once you rented out those bedrooms upstairs, or how? Mm-hmm. At what point did you start to be able to cover your mortgage and expenses? and then also have some leftover?
0: I don't know that with this one, the very first one we did, I don't know that we ever got to that point. It got close, um, mm-hmm. but it, to covering expenses, we were also paying more than we needed to on our loan. If we weren't doing that, then we probably would have been cash flowing a few hundred bucks a month. Um, mm-hmm. But I had accelerated the loan payments so that we gotcha. could try to you know get out sooner, get out of the right. loan sooner. Didn't I- I don't know why I was doing that. I don't know if I, you know, somebody had said, oh, do a 15 year loan. And right. I don't know. I don't even know where that came from. But I was just like, this yeah. idea of like pay it down faster. And right. the cash flow was almost there. Like I said, we were, yeah. it got to the point where we weren't even, you know, paying anything very close to that. And so it was like, well, I don't need a couple hundred bucks. So let's just yeah. put it all into the property. Right. You
1: know? Oh my gosh. I love that that story. Even though, you know, most people write off like little investments like that. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm house hacking just for now. But I want to get to the big stuff. I want to get mm-hmm. to the 200 unit apartments like you guys do, you know. But um, I think you learn so many valuable totally. lessons yeah. doing mm-hmm. those smaller properties. And, yeah. you know, you and I are, you know even though we're doing these bigger properties, it's not like we've written off the smaller ones. We're still actively managing some Mm -hmm. smaller properties and you just – you learn some things through those smaller properties that you can't at that larger scale, mm-hmm. and then you, when you apply them to those larger properties, it just it helps in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think anyone who you know is curious about getting into real estate and you know isn't sure which direction is best, I think the important thing is that you do. So you do something, whether it's you know you buy a single family home or you invest in a syndication or you know you get into note investing. I think. The important piece of it is that you get out there and you do something. Of course, when you're ready and you've educated yourself, don't Jump in headfirst first into anything you don 't understand, I think I heard that on a podcast once um, you know if, if you don 't understand what you 're investing in you shouldn 't be do you have no business investing in that. you know I know one other thing that we wanted to talk about real quick before we wrap up is the transition and the moment that when you know I went from just owning a couple of properties to getting to where where i 'm at now, and you know really it was. Gosh, I want to say it was like 2013 or 2014 and I had we had two kids at that time and you know we had paid off all of our debts. I think all we really had at the time was our mortgages. No credit card debts, nothing and we had money saved. And it was like, okay, now what? And I kept going to a financial advisors and sitting down and having these important meetings that I thought we were they were going to help me retire early and get rich and not get rich quick. I wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. after that, but I was you know, after help. Help me grow my wealth in a way that is yeah. not this long horizon of like 30 years from now, but something that I can you know expect to happen within the next maybe 10 to 15 years and everyone that i went to just no one had the answers for me and it all the conversation always went around mutual mutual mm-hmm. funds um, mm-hmm. you know stocks and bonds and um, life insurance which you know we we bought way back when term life insurance is like product 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 yeah. and fees 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 and i was just like okay so I, like you guys seem like you're making the money here right. but we're not like and it never and a, no one and now and then i when i discovered real estate and this whole world that we live in now I understand why those financial advisors never told me about yes. all of the different things mm-hmm. we know about now. And the reason is mm-hmm. because they're not compensated to do so, right? And so it was just an eye opener when I, and I still remember when I ju- fell into bigger pockets, is really how I discovered this whole world. And I just remember thinking to myself, my goodness, like this is where all the secrets are hiding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just, in what you, as you know, as Everyone says fell into this rabbit hole, um, and that was really, you know, the eye opener for me was when I discovered Bigger Pockets and when I discovered all of the, the secrets. So many secrets, um, you know. Instead of doing a five two nine plan, do this. Which, you know, now as as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people in the audience know, I like to, and we both do, like to use whole life insurance policies in conjunction with our investments. And, you know, how am I leveraging that as a strategy for college savings? They're not going to tell you this kind of stuff. In the mainstream, right? And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, from that all the way into, you know, discovering, you know, short term, like hard money lending and this idea of really having your money out there working for you, not collecting 1% at the bank or whatever it was back then, 0.75%, but making, I think at the time it was like a 10% return on your money, which was Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, and it's just a different, like, mindset it's like okay if you've got $100,000 and you instead of parking it here for 3 months you park it here for 3 months and instead of making mm-hmm. 0.75% return you make 10% return on $100,000 we're talking thousands of dollars mm-hmm. i still have the check hanging here in my office the first check that i got from my hard money lender or from the guy the person that i worked with he was a flipper and yeah it was just mind blowing to me because it's like this is an alternative now of course you have to make sure that it's safe and you have to vet the people that you're working with and all of that stuff. But yeah, it was just, it was, it was mind blowing to go from all the traditional stuff to realizing there's
1: alternate ways Uh. to
0: do the same thing, you know?
1: Well that's the perfect way to wrap up this conversation because everything that all of you just heard Julie talk about those are teasers for future conversations that we're <laughs> going to have we're going to dive into things like 529 plans and whole life insurance and all of that all of that stuff in our journey and more because you know that's why we put together this podcast in the first place is because all of these alternative investments these things that mainstream uh street isn't telling you about. Um, we wanted to, we've done a lot of work to dig through the clutter and to find these strategies and, um, through investing for good, we're sharing that with all of you. And then we'll continue to share all of those strategies and those tips and what we're learning through these solo episodes as well.
0: So much fun.
1: All right. Well, with that, that wraps up this episode. Join us next time and we will have even more to share about our journeys in real estate. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodeginvestments.com slash podcast and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.